So that sets the background, the reading from the Gospel of John on this Easter Sunday morn, John 20. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to breathe upon your word today. You are the spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same spirit that gives life to us, the same spirit that makes the written word the living word, allows it to speak to our hearts and our minds so that we can understand and be saved. We ask you today, Holy Spirit, come again into the caverns of our heart today. Bring forth Zoe life, the life of God, the breath of God, that we might know you. Amen. For the disciples, it was tragedy. It was crisis, loss, fear, all buzzwords in the news these days. It's hard even watching the news. We've got school shootings and school stabbings and bus crashes and ferries sinking and landslides and earthquakes and nation-grabbing nations and crisis, always crisis. And despite the promises coming down from the highest government officials, I doubt that there's going to be a quick turnaround on any of this stuff. Quite frankly, their efforts seem to make things <laughs> all the worse. Because the real issues here are issues of trust, integrity, and character. And very little of these traits seem to remain at the highest levels of corporate or governmental America today. And that in itself is a tragedy, a crisis. But these issues of tragedy and crisis have been a part of the human condition since humans developed a condition. The condition they developed is what the Bible calls sin. Whether it is direct disobedience to God or destructive behaviors towards another person, the bottom line remains sin is being so full of ourselves 
and so focused on our own wants and needs that the effects of our behavior on others no longer matters to us. The disciples understood loss. They went through an incredible personal tragedy. Think about it. Just four days before coming to this empty tomb, they had been walking with Jesus. He was central to all their hopes, dreams, and aspirations for the future. He was their teacher, their leader, their best friend, and their God. And now he was dead, buried, and among the missing. Snatched away right before their eyes, and before another day would pass, he had been tried, beaten, scourged, condemned, crucified, dead, and buried. That, my friends, is traumatic loss. Here's the thing. He had told them all of this would happen. But they were so focused on self that they missed it. Watch watch their interaction in the scripture in Mark 10. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed for And those who followed were afraid, and taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Saying this, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. Pretty straightforward. I love the response. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. (laughs) Right? You imagine gathering your family around? Listen, I'm going on a missions trip. I won't be coming back. I'm going to get captured by some radicals. They're going to beat me. Uh, to a pub, they're going to execute me. You'll never see me again. Oh, well, listen, before you go, could you take care of this? I mean, that's essentially what they're saying, right? I mean, the description he gives them, and this is their response, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. I love Jesus' response. What do you want from me? What do you want me to do for you? No condemnation. They said to him, grant us to sit one on your right hand and one on your left hand in your glory. Someone gave me a cute acronym for ego. Easing God out. Easing God out. Ego. The disciples were so full of their own stuff that they missed hearing heaven's agenda. But now, today, this Easter morning for them, the tomb is empty. And perhaps today, this day for you, this Easter Sunday morning, maybe your retirement fund is empty, or your savings account is empty, or your job is ending, or your mortgage is foreclosing. Or maybe it's just that your heart and your life feel empty, or looking at your emotional connectedness is like looking into an empty tomb. I think the American dream has turned into the American nightmare. 
American ideal of being full of things. Houses and cars and big boy toys is perhaps the clearest picture of empty there is. And possibly the very reason why God can and does use emptiness to bring us to the real beginning of fullness. Well, I have some good news for you this morning, albeit is in the genre of a little strange Pastor Dick type news. <laughs> I do have those. And here it is. Empty, all right, get this now. Empty is not empty. Empty is not empty. Even in the natural science, astrophysicists have determined that we can only physically see 4% of all existing matter in the universe. So what we see as empty is in reality simply invisible to the spectrum of our senses. Do you ever hear of dark matter? It makes up most of space, except we can't see it. So we look up and we see empty, and God says it's full. Empty is not empty. John looks into the tomb and sees nothing of any impact for his life and situation. But a few minutes later, he enters the tomb and believes. He finds faith. Crisis will always elicit one of two responses, defeat or determination. Determination requires faith, and faith opens up a whole new spectrum for our vision. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Things that are not seen do exist. The things that you hope for that you've not yet got a grip on, by faith you can handle. Faith allows you to begin to see the evidence of those things that God has hidden away in the areas that you previously considered empty to find their worth, their value, their very substance. Jesus, referring to the kingdom of God, puts it this way in a parable in Matthew 13. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which when a man has found it, he hides it, and for the joy of it, goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Notice that the first action the man takes is to empty himself of his own stuff. If I'm going to get a hold of this, i got to get rid of my stuff. Is there anyone here carrying their own stuff this morning? Are you heavy laden and burdened? Remember, Jesus has given an invitation to the weary. He says, come to me. Come to me. Jesus in that tomb was God's hidden treasure waiting to be found offered by grace and found by faith, and there is so much that is yet to be seen. Listen to this scripture. This is in Isaiah 45. This was written by Isaiah 800 years before Christ. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of the kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. 
I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places, that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. Here we have a classic example of a prophetic word with a double application. The first application is for the time at which it was spoken. Cyrus was king of the Medes and the Persians. He was chosen by God to defeat the Babylonians who had taken Israel captive and to release Israel to return to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. Babylon, as an enclosed city, was so secure behind its bronze gates that as the Persians laid siege to the city of Babylon, the Babylonians on the inside held a three-week drunken party. Mm. There was no way with the then-known military technology to get through those brawn gates. That city was secure. So secure that although they were being assaulted on the outside, they were having a party on the inside. But God was at work here, making a way, a hidden way, now revealed to Cyrus, an underground gate of iron bars accessible through the city's water system that led directly to the treasury house and then into the king's palace. Cyrus cut through the bars of iron, took the hidden treasure and the city without a fight. All the soldiers were too drunk to even realize they had been invaded. In the secondary application, we have God's anointed, Jesus, the Christ, chosen by God the Father to break down the gates and cut through the bars, not of bronze and iron, but of sin and death. He enters the grave and discovers the hidden treasures of the kingdom. And listen to his personal view of the event. In John 12, 23, Jesus says to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The treasure revealed to him there, the much fruit are the souls of men and women and children from every age, tribe, tongue, and nation and people group destined to be the precious in the sight of the Lord. According to Malachi 3.16, the Father says this, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. But it's not just a revelation of what is hidden within. He made the way for us to enter into places we had been restricted from because sin had separated us from God. Matthew 27, 50, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit on the cross, and behold, the curtain, the veil in the temple, was torn in two from top to bottom. The description given by 
uh, Josephus, the historian of this veil, was that it was at least 30 feet tall. The thickness of it between skins and hides and different layers of different cloths was three feet thick, a solid wall of fabric and, and hides. And this thing split from the top to the bottom when Jesus gave up his life on the cross. The way had been made for us to enter into a place we were never allowed to go prior to that. Up to this point, only the high priest could pass beyond the veil and then only once a year to make atonement for the sin of his people. No one else had ever been able to see what was on the other side of the curtain. But now the brass gates had been opened, the iron gates cut away, the kingdom had been opened wide to all who will. And watch how immediate the access is, returning to our story in John 20. But Mary stood outside, weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lain one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary, like John, takes a second look inside the empty tomb and finds that heaven itself has begun to occupy what she once perceived as empty. The gates have been opened. Dialogue and interaction are now free flow. Why are you weeping? She turns and finds Jesus himself. What was hidden now revealed, and with an open heaven message, my father is now your father, my God is now your God. The writer of the letter of Hebrews encourages us along these very same lines in Hebrews 4. Since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, the place we could never reach, we can now draw near to with confidence, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need, in time of crisis, in time when the burden gets to be too heavy, we have a resource. Are you empty this morning? Holy Spirit, come. Fill the voids in our hearts. Jesus instructed us to empty ourselves of unhealthy attachments to the material things of this world, things that can be here today and gone in a flash. Set your affections, he said, on things above, 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I believe God wants you to be an investor today. Not in stocks and bonds or money markets, but in kingdom riches. Let me show you an example in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, and as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The thing he had was Jesus himself. The thing he had was heaven's treasure. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. As we continue next week on our series of Sowing Kingdom Seed, our goal is to help you to store up treasure in heaven and to fill up the treasure room of your heart with all the fullness of Christ so that you, with amazing joy, can invest the love of God into the lives of others. But for now, I want to invite you to come and to pray. Come and establish an account in heaven to begin to receive the spiritual dividends promised to you by God himself. Jesus said this in John 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place this morning. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to begin to touch our hearts today. Lord, if there are those who are heavy laden and burdened, those who are in times of crisis, those who have hearts that are like empty tombs, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to begin to invest hope into their lives today. Begin to give them a measure of faith that they would take a second look into the emptiness of their lives and find that you are at work there, O oh God, to bring fullness, to bring life, to bring hope, to bring a future, to bring goodness, O oh God. Holy Spirit, have your way. I want to extend an invitation on this Resurrection Sunday the hinge of history. When Jesus rose from the dead, everything changed. Everything. 
heaven itself opened to humanity. If you have never known Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've been walking around with this heavy burden, if your life is always in crisis and you have nowhere to turn, I'm here to tell you today, the risen Christ is here for you to turn to. It's as simple as this, Lord, I need a Savior. Would you come close to me? Would you begin to interfere in my life along the path of your grace? He knows you're a sinner. You know you're a sinner. You're in need of a Savior. If that's you today, I want to give you an opportunity to pray and receive Christ. I'm going to ask you to just, wherever you are, just stand up. And we're going to pray a prayer and give you an opportunity in a real general fashion just to say, yes, I need a Savior. I need Jesus in my life. It's as simple as a response. As simple as saying yes to the one who said yes to a God who said, would you pay the price for the ones I love? And he said yes. Now I'm asking you, will you pay the price for the one who said yes so you could say yes to God. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. And it will change everything. Holy Spirit, I surrender my life to Jesus today. And I invite you to come into my life. Lord, as my Savior, as my Lord, carry this burden my day-to-day mundane life, my work-a-day life with all the little crises that happen, all the pain and the sorrow that gets to be too much to bear sometimes. Won't you come, Lord Jesus? Won't you come? If you prayed that prayer today, just take some time before you leave. Come and see me. I'd like to give you a Bible and a little instruction on some things to read just to help you out. I pray that you and your families have an awesome Resurrection Sunday. Enjoy the nice weather and food around a table. Get some laughter kicked up. Huh? Laughter is like a good medicine. All right, enjoy the day. The Lord bless you and keep you. And again, if you want pictures, Linda's down here. Why don't she sneak upstairs? <laughs>